Hi, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Tom Salopek from Cross Asset Strategy. I'm joined by my colleague Vivek Juneja, who, uh, head of Large Cap Bank Research. Vivek, you put out a report this past Friday, which was pretty well received. Why don't you give us an update on the on the uh, on the view of bank stocks right now? Thanks, Tom. Overall, there's quite an appetite towards bank stocks. There's a lot of concerns amongst investors which is hope keeping them on the sidelines, even though stocks are attractively valued, long onlys aren't jumping in and hedge funds have been really shorting the sector. And the two key concerns are number one, regulatory outlook near term, given the banking crisis that we just went through, what will be the fallout from that? Because much is expected on several fronts. And the second thing is the economy. The worries amongst investors is that once we get the regulatory stuff clarified, that will be handing the baton to the economy. So that's keeping them on the sidelines on the sector, because obviously, as you know, it's a cyclical sector, Tom, so it'll get very much impacted by the economy. And, and we're already seeing you know, a little bit of signs in the sense that loan growth has been slower. There's some caution. Spending has been slowing down. Uh, if you look at the Chase card data, and uh, you know, credit quality is holding up fine for the moment, but there's concerns that you know eventually that will also crack. So attractive valuations are not uh, enough to get investors to jump into this sector right now. We're cautious precisely because of these two factors. Uh, this, you know, we just think that these will continue to cloud the sector uh, near term. You know. There are, there are milestones that will keep the sector, that'll keep investors on the sidelines until we get clarity on each of those milestones. Well, let's go into a little bit more detail on, on loan growth. I mean, when, when the banking crisis first kicked off, uh, uh, our U.S. economist Mike Faroli pointed out something a bit scary, which is basically if the big banks did not step in to make up for the shortfall in, in, in small bank loan growth, that the GDP drag might be something like a half a percent to a percent. So, so what are you seeing in terms of loan growth right now? How are things shaping up? Tom, in terms of loan growth, loan growth is, is weak and it's slow. And I don't think it's just because of the regional banks facing a crisis from a deposit standpoint or a funding standpoint, or, or a few of them having gone under. Um, because as you know, they've all been resolved and bought by other players. The challenge, what we are seeing in loan growth is really both a supply and a demand issue. There's a problem with demand. Companies are cautious, not, not really borrowing. And the reason they're not borrowing is the, the issue that I mentioned earlier, which is companies are also seeing spending slow down and they're cautious about how the economy is gonna go. So why uh, go out and borrow at these high rates? They're preferring to use cash uh, that they're sitting on, or just waiting out, um, you know, waiting it out to to see how things evolve. So that's so that's the demand side on CNI loan growth that's keeping loan growth weak. When it comes to CRE, we are seeing problems in certain sectors like office. That's creating a problem both on the demand and supply side. Where we are seeing good loan growth is credit cards, but ironically, that's because there are more consumers who can't pay their full bills monthly. So they're turning from transactors into revolvers, meaning instead of paying your bill off every month, you're actually revolving all a part of your monthly bill and, and paying interest on it. So that part's the highest growth category. 
which you know is a mixed blessing, right? It's it's uh, it's good for banks' earnings because these are high yielding loans, but then you worry that you know the consumers getting more stretched. So, and when you think about other loan categories like auto, there's also been slowdown in production. There's been uh, prices have risen a lot, so so that's driven a little bit of slowdown in demand. So so loan growth struggling from a demand problem, and from a supply side where bank where where lenders are being cautious is as I mentioned CRE. But where they're being cautious in commercial real estate is really office because of uh, working from home, plus companies all cutting back on space. They're squeezing um, space for employees so they don't need as much. So, so office is the main category where we're seeing that. Um, banks being careful. Regional banks have been the mainstay in commercial real estate lending. So that will have a small, you know, a little bit of an impact. There's no doubt about that. And banks will not necessarily step into that. Some of those commercial real estate loans, larger banks, I, I, I meant to say, that's not their bailiwick. If you look at small banks, they tend to 40, 45% of their loans are, are commercial real estate. About 20% is CNI, and another 20% is residential mortgages. The residential mortgages part is easy. That can be securitized through Fannie Freddie so long as it's not jumbos. And jumbos will be there'll be buyers for it. Um, CNI, I think you will see more, you know, banks jump into that based on the credit quality. Borrowers may have to pay up more. The, the challenge will be CRE. And that's where the larger banks have, you know, they, been a little bit different. Their, their standards are different. And that may have to move to non-bank lenders, such as you know, debt funds. So, so yes, CRE could see a little bit of an impact, um, a little bit of uh, the, the the impact on slowdown of loan growth that that our economists are talking about is really not just from the crisis. In my view, it's also just overall caution on the part of borrowers. So let's get an update on the on the state of deposits. I mean, originally when when the crisis was happening, we saw an outflow of deposits due to worries about safety or because folks were tempted away by by yields at money market funds. Uh, what's the situation right now with deposits? The deposits, you had you know a tale of two worlds, so to speak, right? You had the regional bank crisis where people woke up and and uh, when they saw you know, basically four banks go under in a very short period of time uh, and two of them really overnight, right? Which you haven't seen in a very, very long time. Uh, that caused a panic. Uh, and those two banks' models were unique. A third one that has that has been taken over, same thing. A lot of high net worth deposits, which are much more flighty and much more likely to run away at the slightest sign of distress. You, you know, uh, the large banks I cover were actually the beneficiaries of this. They saw deposits come to them. So, so there was one piece of flows that was related to this crisis. That crisis-related flow of deposits from small banks to large banks, that has paused. That has stabilized. We're not seeing that anymore. Uh, in fact, some of those smaller regional banks have actually put out press releases recently sharing that their deposits have actually inched up a little bit. So, so I think that panic uh, driver, Tom, has subsided. But there is another big driver, and that is QT. Remember, the Fed has been doing QT um, for a while now. And you know their, their plan was to do $95 billion a, a month. Obviously, March was different. Their balance sheet grew massively because of the panic in the environment. You've seen a faster shrinkage in the balance sheet in the, at the Fed in April and May, down more like $120, $30 billion. 
um, rather than uh, the 95 I mentioned. And that's because that's just part of, part of the reversal of the growth they saw of over 350 billion in March. That was not supposed to grow so, so much. That was actually supposed to shrink at eight, you know, whatever, 80, 90-ish billion dollars. Um, so you're seeing some of, as things have stabilized, some of that money that rushed into the Fed is, is starting to come out. Um, so as we look out, we think deposits will still shrink in the industry, but it'll be because of the QT portion of it much more rather than the piece that was related to the regional banking uh, outflows that we were seeing. Uh, there are still, you know, there's still people waking up and saying, oh my gosh, inflation's killing my budget and I'm getting nothing for my money in the bank because banks are paying, you know, very sparingly. If you go savings deposits, most of them, and checking accounts, you're getting very little. Uh, so to the extent that people can spare and not need some of that cash, they're moving it either to CDs that banks are issuing or to money market funds. You're still seeing some inflows, but that inflow pace, Tom, has slowed mass a, a lot. Um, as we look out, we expect that there will, you know, QT will drive further shrinkage in deposits in the industry. Now, you know, as I mentioned, there isn't really much loan growth. So that's not causing such a big problem for the banks. They are raising some debt funding, which they need to. Uh, part of it is actually going to be part of, required by the regulators, uh, but part of it is just to raise and have more liquidity. And partly banks are letting their securities portfolios shrink. And so uh, they're taking the cash flows on that and using that to fund their uh, loan portfolio. So, the, uh, you know, we, as I said, we expect banks to still see some outflows, but they're trying to cover that through a combination of some borrowings from, from federal home loan banks, some debt issuance, and um, through maturities of securities. Now, with regard to regulation, there's been a bit of a blame game where maybe the idea is that um, uh, regulations were too lax for the smaller banks. Uh, do you, how do you see regulation evolving going forward? So we do see, uh, you know, the Fed came out with a report on uh, right uh, at the end of April, um, on the last days of April, and we put out a note on it. Uh, it's, uh, they basically acknowledged that a lot went wrong and indicated areas that they're going to make changes to. Uh, so they are going to increase the supervision and the testing of the smaller regional banks. They're, the capital rules in the U.S., unlike in Europe, are, you know, they vary by type, size of bank and complexity, et cetera. Uh, the, you know, for instance, the uh, liquidity requirements, they vary uh, based on whether you're a, a GSIB or a category uh, three or a category four bank. Those are just banks divided by different size level, asset size levels. Uh, again, that's not the case in Europe. Uh, there are debt funding requirements for the big global SIFI banks, you know, which is the eight largest banks in the country, but we don't have that for the next year. So the Fed has said in that report that they're going to actually look at all of these things. So they're going to look at uh, the liquidity rules, see what changes need to be made for insured deposits and held to maturity securities, something that a lot of your fixed income and equity investors are aware of. They're going to look at debt funding you know, requirements. They're going to look at living wills. They're going to look at uh, harsher uh, uh, stress tests, stress tests with more scenarios. 
banks in this country, the larger banks, have been going through stress tests for the last uh, more than 10 years, since 2009. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, what they're going to do is really add multiple scenarios. They actually had a pilot added for just the largest trading banks for their trading books, but not for the overall stress test that they do. So that, was, that will get added. So, you know, a lot of stuff coming. And on the capital front, uh, on available for sale securities, that's something that's actually taken into account for the global SIFI banks. It does not go into capital for any of the regional banks. And they have made it quite uh, plain. You know, they haven't sort of specified it, but they made it pretty clear that they're going to consider incorporating that into capital. Now, whether it's just the next year of banks just below the global SIFI, which is the category three banks, which is banks uh, above 250 billion to 700 billion assets, whether they'll go to the next year, which is 100 to 250 billion, or whether they'll even go below that. Uh, all of that is still an unknown. There's a, as you can imagine, this is the US, you're gonna have, there's a lot of lobbying going on from the small banks. Uh, do not increase regulation, but we've seen what happened. They disappeared overnight, and then there are other people left holding the bag. So uh, regulation does need to be strengthened in our view for the regional banks. Uh, you know, we've had crises before where small banks have failed, like in 1989, 1990, when thousands of small banks, community banks, and savings and loans failed. And, uh, you know, the taxpayers and uh, the economy paid a huge price for it. One final question, Vivek. Uh, you had mentioned credit quality earlier. I mean, if we compare this business cycle to earlier business cycles, maybe uh, corporates are not that leveraged right now. They're, they're holding more fixed rate debt rather than floating. They, they may not be in that terrible a shape, but that, that being said, you know, even after a good Q1 for the economy or, or earnings not being as bad as we initially thought, the idea is that possibly the, the, the runway for, for a recession may be pushed out another quarter. So how do you see credit quality shaping up right now? Credit for the moment seems to be holding up, but we are seeing signs of slowing. As I mentioned, first thing is we've seen a little slowdown in spending. If you look at the Chase card data, um, and by the way, we just published a, a credit report on Friday morning. It's called the credit update. For those of you who would like it, uh, please reach out to either sales or go on to uh, your subscription and you should be able to find that uh, if you look for it under my name. It, it's, it's, it's quite a comprehensive report. It lays out what is it that we're watching and what is it that we are seeing. So we, what we are seeing is, you know, from a consumer standpoint, we're seeing FICO scores Tom, start to normalize. Okay, And that's a sign for us that, you know, that losses will go up. They are normalizing and that's going to continue. Losses are still below pre-pandemic levels for the most part in, in credit cards. Uh, you know, and in, but we are worrying about that. We are worried about the non-prime consumer. You're seeing greater signs of normalization there. So if you look at, for instance, City's private label card business, which caters to non-prime customers, a bank, uh, and, and not a bank, a, a non-bank lender we don't cover, one main financial, uh, which mainly a subprime lender, you're already seeing the pace of normalization is, is much faster there in terms of credit losses. They're already above pre-pandemic levels. Uh, while cities, uh, you know, loss, card losses are still a little bit below pre-pandemic, but you look at early delinquencies, those are all early signs. They're getting closer to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, auto loans, Wells Fargo is already above pre-pandemic levels. 
despite the fact that used car prices are up more than 40% since the pandemic. So you're seeing some, you know, you're seeing gradual normalization. Uh, and the question will be, you know, to your point, when, when recession hits, you know, credit losses, there's no such thing as an average credit loss, right? Either you're below it when the economy and the times are good, and you're above it when the economy weakens and we go into recession. So whenever we hit the recession, whether it's later this year, next year, uh, you know, there are differing viewpoints on, on, on when that's going to hit. We expect losses will go up probably above pre-pandemic levels. The area you would worry most about for consumer lending is credit cards because it's unsecured lending, high yielding, but high risk for a reason, right? So, and non-prime is the area you worry most about. And the first signs we're seeing is normalization of FICO scores, meaning people's FICO scores are going there are people who actually got upgraded during the pandemic, meaning they got promoted from subprime to near, near prime or prime. They're getting now downgraded. And the reason they got upgraded was, as you know, the, the savings benefits from the government. They were not spending as much. There were debt moratoriums. All of that has gone away, right? You're not getting the benefits anymore. Spending has actually increased partly because of inflation. And there are more defaults. So, so all of that is driving your... FICO scores to weaken, and some of these people will ultimately end up in default. Uh, you're starting to see home prices slow. You're in in you know in the corporate side where we're seeing is actually the shadow banking system stuff that's not on bank balance sheets, but we track that too because that has higher risk. That will crack first before the cracks are seen on bank balance sheets because the banks keep the low, lower risk stuff on their balance sheet. But we watch what because that obviously has an impact on the system. So if you look at high yield bond defaults, leverage loans that have been packaged and sold to investors through CLOs, et cetera, we're watching the defaults on that. And the defaults in the first four months are already equal to 2021 and 22 combined. And they're getting close to full year pre-pandemic levels, 17, 18, 19. At this pace, they'll definitely exceed that. So the shadow banking system is starting to show some signs of softness if you look at defaults um, on the corporate side. Commercial real estate, everybody's very worried about office commercial real estate. We're all seeing headlines in the press. You're seeing these stories of keys being handed over. Um, it's something we, we watch. We, uh, our banks are starting to give more data. So we pulled all the data that our banks have put out, whether it's 10 Qs, earnings releases, wherever we could. Um, we're seeing pickup in vacancies, pickup in defaults. What's uh, holding the banks up a little bit right now is these loans at origination were done, Tom, at 55 to 65% loan to value, meaning there was equity of 35 to 45%. So this cushion, but you're hearing prices, you know, when some, if you look at the Wall Street Journal, you're hearing this anecdotal stuff of, okay, buildings sold in San Francisco, price rumored at 40 cents on the dollar. So the loss is not quite 60 cents if the if the, it was originated at 60 cents on the on the dollar, but there is some loss. So so we're worried about office commercial real estate, keeping an eye on that. Our banks do have exposure, but as I mentioned, smaller banks are much more exposed to commercial real estate in general. Large banks, if you look at the Fed data, account for about 35% of commercial real estate loans, small banks account for 65%. So it's a much bigger challenge for the smaller regional banks. Uh, will be a headwind for my banks, but not a deal breaker for most of my banks. No. Uh, so, so keeping an eye, 
you know, banks are slowly building reserves for to you know for credit losses. We'll, we expect we'll continue to see that uh, under the accounting rules. You tend to build reserves first, and then the losses come later. So the reserve bill is probably more this year, early next year, and losses are probably more in 24, 25, as the economy goes into recession and the and the fallout comes from that. Well, thanks for that update, Vivek. We, for JPM subscribers, we will include links to Vivek's recent publications. And thank you all for tuning in to JP Morgan TV.